This episode, we get to talk to Colin Quinn, who's a learning and development specialist at SalesStar, a sales development company. We talk about how to become an expert conversationalist, knowing when and how to push the boundaries to make better connections, and mistakes that he often sees young people making. It's a fantastic episode. Uh, there's a lot of really good advice in there, so enjoy. So what does your day-to-day look like at SalesStar, Colin? What should it look like and what does it look like? It should look like uh, being in front of clients and, and working with their teams and working with the, the management to to try and get them to be more effective mm-hmm. at uh, either the leadership or the management or, or selling or customer service. So that's, in theory, that's what I should be doing the majority of the week is actually in front of the clients. What is it? There's, yeah, yeah, no, there's a bit of that. There's a bit of that. But there's a lot of coaching that we do too on a, on a, on a regular basis. So some of my days are just spent doing three or four coaching calls with clients, which is that one-on-one. Yeah. Uh, and then other times it's that group, group facilitating. Okay. Is sales something that you always thought you would end up in? Is it a passion from the beginning or is it something you just kind of fell into? Literally fell into I'm a qualified horticulturalist, which is another name. For, I'm just a glorified gardener, really. <laughs> so... Uh, I think I got to about 19 and 20 and, and I decided I, I was stimulated more by having a little bit more interaction with people. Mm-hmm. I had a deluded view of my ability to interact with people. I still do have that deluded view, so I don't know whether I'm actually good at interacting with people or not, but I think I am. So uh, I think I wanted to get into into a role where A, I could um, utilize what I felt was some natural abilities to make more money than just doing an hourly rate as a as a tradesperson. Mm-hmm. I going back to that point about um, like I think it's interesting that I I find that like sometimes when you think you're good at um, talking to people, that's like the first step to actually being good at talking to people. Like someone who goes, oh, I'm not good at talking to people, that kind of weighs down on the head, and then mm-hmm. they actually. You know, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely, yeah, it is. And we, we refer to it in Tulsa, you refer to it as a self-limiting belief. So if you tell yourself that message enough times, you start to believe it. You start to look to evidence to back it up. So it holds you back from doing a lot of things that you... So I think sometimes having a deluded view of how good you are at something at least helps you make that first step. Yeah. You know, you just you break the ice with a little bit more um, energy and enthusiasm and an open mind. Often you then get pulled back into reality, but at least you've given it a shot. So, do you have any more advice for someone, uh, someone young just starting out? They might have, they might be in sales, or might they might have found themselves in a role that has a sales aspect to it. What would you say to them? Mm. I think it's patience and persistence, and I think that's something I struggled with in those early days was having that patience and having that persistence. And we talk a lot about commitment too with companies and it's it's doing the things that no one else wants to do. And I think the the reasons a lot of people get into sales is because they think they can talk to people. Cool. So they focus on that and they work to their strengths. And I do believe you should work to your strengths. But you've also got to have a, a willingness to do the, the grunt work. And for a lot of people, it is it is gravitating to what they like and avoiding what they don't like, which is fine. But the problem is it's the, the grunt work or it's the unpleasant, difficult tasks which make the biggest difference. Any chump can do the stuff they like to do. It's not difficult to keep yourself busy doing stuff you like doing, but that's what everyone else is doing. So it's all of us having that self-awareness, and if you're in sales, it's what am I avoiding? Uh, am I avoiding having those challenging conversations? Am I avoiding talking about money? Am I avoiding prospecting? Am I avoiding paperwork? Do I avoid certain personalities or certain cultures? So what's holding you back 
What are you avoiding that you're not comfortable with? And I firmly believe if people can identify what it is that they're not good at, that they don't like doing, or that they find less pleasant, and if they did those things, if they identified those things and did them twice as hard for three months, they'll get a better result. There's a reason you're avoiding it. And there's a, there's a reason everyone else will be avoiding it. And that's, I think, what separates your, your champs from your chumps, is that willingness to do the stuff that no one else wants to do. Work to your strengths, but don't blindly avoid the tough stuff, the hard stuff. Yeah. I did that. I did that for years. I, I just focused on the things I like doing. And I still find myself doing it at, at, at 43 years of age. Mm. And it's not healthy. It's fantastic advice. Yeah, it is. It's and it feels really good to um, have challenged yourself, even if it doesn't necessarily work out. But and especially if it does work out, if you go, oh, this is something challenging enough. Actually, you know, you do those three nights, you get to and you go, wow, I've learned all this new stuff, and I've really pushed myself. And I think that's more rewarding than staying within that comfort um, bubble all the time. Yeah. And that's no different than it is for me, than it is for you. If you're doing these, these uh, uh, I guess, these video blogs, there's a, there's a risk that you could start tickling people's ears with what you think people want to hear. Yeah. And you know what? As, as you guys get a bit more brave and courageous in what you're doing, you'll, you'll go out on a limb. You'll start challenging people a little bit more. Because um, you're no use to anyone if you just play it safe, aren't you? Mm. And this one, you know, well, I'm sure we're playing it safe. I'm sure we're not going to talk anything that's going to get you in. We don't want any Israel for our moments. <laughs> but, you know, your courage is going to come from starting to get a little bit more edgy and challenge the norm. Yeah. Not just tickling people's ears with what they want to hear. Mm. It doesn't apply to all of us. Yeah. I have to do that as a, as a facilitator. And at some stage, I know this isn't the script, but you're going to have to go through the same discussion with yourselves. You know, how, how brave do we want to be in this series? Mm. Good thing to keep in mind, didn't it? Didn't it's, see that coming, did you? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. No, I did. It's true. I think it's something we do, we do think about a lot. Is Yeah, at least I think about like where this is going, and we're going to start having conversations with probably people who are less and less aligned with us in some areas as well, and mm-hmm. we want that challenge as well. So I think it's also getting into the room with the right people, like you say, like doing an interview with someone who we think is going to be a challenging interview, mm. maybe because of their views, maybe because of their general demeanor. Mm. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's we yeah. eventually start putting ourselves in that space. It's come up a couple of times where uh, I've kind of finished the interview and I go back and I think, damn, I should have pushed harder mm-hmm. on, on the subject. I should have... I didn't fully disagree didn't fully agree with what they mm, said, mm. said so I should have I should have made that throwing a punch yeah exactly yep. and also it's not just about uh, the people that we have on and we're interviewing it's also about pandering to the audience as well because yep. Ruben and I have talked a lot about uh, do we make content that we think other people will like or do we make content that we enjoy creating and, and we enjoy um, talking about so it's it's finding that balance as well yeah that's a good point and it's it's uh, are you pandering to the masses now, I'm not saying that's a bad strategy. Mm. Or are you there to make a difference? Are you there to be courageous? Is that what inspires you? And so it's not necessarily replicating what everyone else is doing. We all have that challenge, don't we? You know, am, I just, am I just replicating what everyone else is doing? And if you're comfortable doing that, that's fine. But if it's, if it's not, figure out what turns you on. Mm. Same advice that I give to managers or, or salespeople. Don't, don't try and copy and imitate what everyone else is doing if you're not comfortable doing that. If that's where you do feel comfortable, fine. But, you know, make your own groove. And if you are the type of person that challenges the norm, get amongst it. Give it a crack. Try it. See what blows up in your face. And if it doesn't blow up in your face and go, well, that didn't hurt that too bad, then you've got the confidence to push that a little bit harder next time. Absolutely. 
How do you approach a tough conversation that you have to have with a sales manager or a salesperson? <laughs> okay, this I'm sure this is not textbook. All right. So if you're listening to the this, do exactly the opposite of what I do. I firmly believe, and this is my own personal belief, is that if you can warm people up, if you can make them laugh, if you can relax them, you've got an opportunity to punch that a little bit harder. So, you know, you know that if you go in and challenge someone and there's no people are tense and they're worked up, then people's hackles can go up quickly. So in any uh, facilitating I'm doing or any coaching that I'm doing with anyone, I will attempt, whether I succeed or not, I'll attempt to break the ice. I'll attempt to get a laugh. I'll attempt to make fun of myself. I'll have a crack at them. I'll pick a fight. I'll do something to try and relax people. Because I think once you do that, it then gives you the opportunity of punching that a little bit harder because they're willing to listen. If you've laughed at yourself or you've, um, you've shown some humility, or you've warmed up the audience, and that just that some of that edge is taken off, that pressure's taken off. I think you've earned the right to punch a bit harder, and I think people will accept it a little bit more. Now I know other people that have got a completely different strategy. They, they try and dazzle them and amaze them with their their own self importance. They try and impress them with their own credibility of what they know, what they've done. I don't personally think that's authentic. Yeah. You know, I think if you've got the opportunity of warming up a crowd, relaxing them. Taking a, a having a bit of fun at yourself, then I think you've earned the right to punch them pretty hard too, and that's sometimes where you make those breakthroughs. And so far, I would say that's something that um, seems to be a, a reasonably successful formula for me. I don't necessarily mean that applies to everybody, but for me, that seems to seems to work. What's well, one way someone can develop that um, that skill of effective communication and connecting? Shut your mouth. Just learn to listen. Again, to plagiarise a, a particular saying I've seen in LinkedIn recently, it's uh, listening with a view to understanding, not listening with a view to answering. Mm. So just genuinely sitting and engaging with someone and actually learning to listen, which means you're not thinking of what you're about to say before mm. someone's finished talking. You don't interrupt someone. I'm shocking for that. I still find myself doing it. But you know that if you can sit and look someone in the eye and actually listen to what's important to them, you build that trust, you build that credibility, you're authentic. And then people are willing to, they're willing to talk. But when you go in and start selling your agenda, we know how defensive people get because we do it the same. Arms are crossed, hackles go up and, and your dukes are up, you know, because you're, you're trying to defend yourself against that hideous onslaught, which is that show up and throw up. <laughs> yeah. And a handshake looks like a, a punch about to be thrown sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then we wonder why some idiot comes in with the hard overhand squeeze. Well, you deserved it because that's, that's what you delivered to them. So, of course, they're going to squeeze the dickens out of your hand because that was a really unpleasant experience that you just gave them. <laughs> and then you go and shake their hand and then you wonder why you've got three bruised knuckles. So, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Mm. Uh, this is going to sound a little bit a little bit noble. It's going to sound a little bit uh, um, save the world and hippie-ish. Is hippie-ish a word? I don't even think hippie-ish is a word, is it? I think you can add it. Just, we just made it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I actually, I figured it out. I figured it out that I'm not motivated by things that I used to think I was motivated by. And I am actually motivated by, wait for it, I'm actually motivated by helping other people. Uh, 
And what I mean by that is, like, yes, yes, I want to get paid for doing it, uh, and I want a good income for doing it, but I, I get uh, an immense amount of satisfaction of, of working with people and, and seeing the progress, the penny drop, them becoming more sex, sex, sexy, uh, <laughs> successful. <laughs> um, it's a completely different program that I run. Now. <laughs> but just helping them uh, break through and, and gain the confidence in, in what they do, whether it's a, a, as a leader or a manager or a salesperson or customer service or whatever it is. Mm. And, and there's, it is truly satisfying when you work with people and maybe maybe they are an adversary to start off with. And we have some clients like that where it's hard work and they're very resistant and they, you, you've, they feel like they're a prisoner. And breaking that down and then having them uh, with an open mind willing to give something a crack and try something different. And then seeing them do it and then seeing a wonderful result and seeing how, uh, how proud of themselves they are you know, I've got people that will come back to me uh, on, on most weeks and they will ring me or email me and tell me about a fantastic outcome, a meeting, a sale, whatever it is, or a conversation they have with one of these staff, and they'll thank you for it. And I've actually had people say, you know, quite recently, you've changed my life. Now, that's a big call. But, you know, effective communication is a skill that transcends your career. It actually goes into your life, doesn't it? You know, if you can if you can communicate effectively with your partner, with your family, those are the types of things that just make life more enjoyable. Uh, so, from a career perspective, uh, any time that you help someone be better at what they do, and it has a, a beneficial result on their career, their back pocket, their income, what they can do for their family, that's hard to beat, and that is what motivates me. Um, the money and all the rest of it, that's an important part of it. I'm not going to pretend it's its all, I'm not a charity. But when you get paid for doing something, you actually really enjoy doing it. Then I'm pretty lucky in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. I think most people like that. I think, like, you're unique and you've had that realisation and you've gone over there. I want to help people. I think most people go to work and um, if they actually really thought about it, just want to have positive interactions and help each other and have a good relationship while, while getting paid, of course. Um, but a lot of people don't necessarily realise that in the rigmarole and they might be going, oh, I'm getting paid heaps, but I'm miserable. Why is that? And I think it's because they haven't taken that next step and gone, like, actually what I do while I'm getting paid well um, really matters. I don't think a lot of people have a choice. It's a real pity. Um, you know, I mean, you can you can read a hundred books and listen to a, ho- a hundred different self-help videos that can tell you to chase your dreams. Well, that's a bunch of rubbish because people don't always have the opportunity to chase their dreams. Uh, their personal circumstances might not allow them to do that. But I do believe we do need to identify what does motivate us, what does inspire us, so that we're not doing something that's doing our head in. And then we've got to take some of those small steps to even if we are confined to a particular town, to a particular industry, to a particular role, what can we control? What can we include as part of our daily activity which feeds us? You know, what are we doing to feed ourselves? Because often we get into a trap where we're feeding everyone else. We're stuck in a grind and we're not feeding ourselves. Like we're not doing, we're not eating healthy. We're not sleeping well. We're not doing exercise. We're not upskilling or developing our own our own uh, careers. We're not doing anything to feed ourselves and then we wonder why we're miserable. Yeah. You know, and, and so there's a couple of people I'm working with at the moment and I, on a regular basis, I'll check in with them either in text or a phone call. So what do you do to feed yourself? 
because you told me that you needed to do this, this and this to feel better about life within the confines of what you're already doing. So have you done those things? Because if you don't, then your job becomes miserable, you resent it and you hate it and you begrudge everything about it. Mm. And then you wonder why your relationships are, are less than positive. So what have you done to feed yourself today? What have you, what have you done for yourself? You have to do this, you have to turn up to work and do that, but what did you do to make it more enjoyable? What have you done to feed yourself? There's a really good book, and we were all made to read it when we were first getting into sales. It was The Richest Man in Babylon. And there was a principle there that everything you earn, 10% of it's yours. You pay yourself first, and you pay everyone else out of what's left. But we do the same with time. We give our time to everyone else, and then we sit there exhausted, and you've got nothing for yourself. So we sometimes need to commit to what am I going to do to feed myself I am the most important person, like I'm me. Feed yourself first and everyone else gets what's left over. Because if you wait until trying to feed yourself from what's left for everything else you've done for everyone else, that's really poor English, um, there's never anything left. Pay yourself first and then pay everyone else out of that. So continually feed yourself with what you need. Is it exercise? Is it career development? Is it added learning? Is it setting aside time to go for a walk along the beach or kick the ball with the kids? Now, what is it that's important to you? And within the confines of, of your life, which for some people is restricting, you've still got to tap into what you can control, what you can do for yourself. Told you it sounds a bit yeah, well, bohemian, didn't it? <laughs> no, I think that's, that's right on point. And, and the, the principle of paying yourself... Um, I've always subscribed to that financially, but when you describe it in terms of, of time and, and skills, it, it really rings home as well, and mm. it has the same um, positive effect, and I think that's great great advice mm. for anyone, so thank you. I haven't always, I haven't always um, executed on that well, and then you wonder why things aren't going well in life, you wonder why you're, you're unhappy. Mm. Um, so it is, it's a constant reminder, isn't it? You think there are limits to that, both? You know, like perhaps to make, take, take it as financially, for example. Um, yeah, at what point? Because they say there's a, they, they do all this sort of stuff with grass, or it's sort of about, I think it translates to around forty dollars to $50,000 New Zealand dollars a year salary. And sort of happiness increases really rapidly up until that point, and then it tapers off. So there's a certain point at which um, you're not going to get any happier from making any more money. Yeah. And, and, um, with time as well, like I think with time, like and being happy and making sure that you're going to work, having given yourself that first bit of your energy, then you're actually a better person to interact with, interact with that Absolutely. Is positive. But in the other, in some other regards, are there limits to how much you should give to yourself? It's a good question. Eh? Mm. You've got to be balanced, don't you? Because if one if if one is having a detrimental impact on the other, it's not healthy. So, for instance, if you were feeding yourself disproportionately is that going to have a negative flow on impact on your ability to do your job like if you justified it and say well I'm going to feed myself first which means every night I'm going to smash back a box of Woodstocks well that's not necessarily going to put you in a good state of mind to turn up to work the next day and and, and it's going to have a, a negative impact isn't it so you've still got to feed yourself responsibly don't you Going back to when you started answering that question um, in response to me with um, everybody not necessarily having the opportunity to be in a position to um, do something that they love, what do you think we as a society or like who in society and is it all of us, um, what can we do 
to improve that for people and give people better opportunities to pursue that what, what they want to do and have the same opportunities that we've got and we're lucky to have. And, th- and this is a bit of a this is a bit of a uh, a bugbear for me, and I don't know whether it's justified or not. Is that too often we're looking for others to show us what to do? Uh, staff are waiting for the company to provide them good work life balance. They're waiting for the company to provide them a motivating environment, and there's there's less personal responsibility for that because you know at the end of the day, a company, our company, has a goal that we want to develop the people, but that that is something different for every single member of staff. So how on earth does a company get that right? How do they feed? How do they provide what every single person that works for them needs? So it's got to be some personal responsibility, isn't it? Sure. Uh, so I think, but what can society do? I think they can be more open and, and, and aware of the nuances or the variances within their people. One size doesn't fit all. Um, and I think that's always a danger, isn't it, as we try and treat everybody the same. I think people put a lot of pressure on themselves because they try and copy and imitate what others do. And they look at what someone else is doing and think, I should be doing that. Well, no, you shouldn't be doing that. If that's not your groove, if that's not what's going to make you happy, don't copy someone just because they're successful. Mm. For everyone, for every young millionaire that struck it lucky and got rich, there's a, I don't know, 100 million that haven't. But we look at that one and we think that's the path that we need to follow. And then we're disappointed when we don't reach it. So we've got to figure out our own groove, going back to what I said before. Figure out what motivates and inspires you. Don't try and keep up with others. I've figured out only in the last four years I'm not an entrepreneur. I wasn't necessarily that happy to, to come to that realisation. I can't do what other entrepreneurs can do. I can take something that someone started and I can build that with anger and fury and energy but I'm not an entrepreneur. Now, when I figured out that that was not my calling, that actually gave me quite a bit of clarity. Don't keep trying to chase that. Don't jam myself into a into a into a hole that I don't belong in. So, what made you come to that realization? I don't have an appetite to go through the same pain and sacrifice that others do. Okay. I've got a couple of mates that own a coffee company. Man, they've done the hard work. They've done the hard yards. Mm. Um, they've made sacrifices I don't think I would have been prepared to make I think I would have pulled out early and, and waved the white flag and I've got some strengths in other areas that they don't have but that's what they've been able to do and so you know, for me uh, time with my family time with my kids uh, going for a surf um, going for a walk along the beach sitting having a bottle of wine and having a little bit more of that that balance is actually more important to me, not the money. Now, I guarantee they'll come come away with a stack load more money than I ever will. And they've earned it. Now, I might want the money, but I wasn't prepared to make the sacrifice. So once I figured out that, you know what, the money didn't justify the, the effort, then I could go, right, okay, my expectations have been realigned. For sure. Yeah, and that's different for different people. Takes, people takes a year. Some yeah. people it's not. And it takes a while for some of us to figure that out. Yeah. We feel like we should do more. We feel like we should do what someone else is doing. You two might, you might have a slightly different agenda, but you don't need to copy each other. If you're on the same page, that's fantastic. But you'll all be motivated by completely different things. And so you can't look at someone else and go, well, I should be a little bit more like him because he seems to have it together. Mm-hmm. You make yourself miserable, I think, if you do that. Eh? Put un- unrealistic expectations on yourself. I think it's a balance as well. I think we have 
similarities that sort of hold us together, and that's why we're in the same room talking to people. Mm. But we realize each of us have our own strengths that really also come through, which means when we're doing an interview, we ask slightly different questions, perhaps, yep. because of our different skill sets. So I think it works really well. Yeah. And We've got a trainer that works with us, and, and in the early stages, he put too much pressure on himself because he felt like he had to be like two other people in the business. And he never was going to be. He had his own strengths. Once he figured out that he did not need to be like me and someone else, then he got the opportunity to untap his own his own beauty, his own goodness. And then he was off. But while he was looking at others and thinking he had to imitate and be like them, it actually did him a huge disservice. It was limiting his own his own goodness. Yeah, not everyone has to be an entrepreneur. Not everyone has to be. No. A millionaire, and yeah, I think it's I think it's really cool that you could come to grips with the fact that you weren't that wasn't you, and you're happy with that, and you you've created a life for yourself um, that you love, and you love helping people, and you love spending time with your family. Um, I think that's yeah, that's fantastic. Either that, or it's a justification for I'm not tough enough, I'm not smart enough, and I'm not good enough. That could be another option. <laughs> well, I mean, wasn't going to say that. <laughs> we <Nah>. all suspect it. <laughs> What what annoys you about millennials? Because I know that <laughs> this is an interesting question. I know that I've, I've, I've heard a few things around the, the old man yeah. every now and again. So I, I want to get it out in the open. What what ticks you off? Millennials take it. They get a, a toweling, don't they? But who do get, who do millennials get a toweling from? Your generation. Yeah, old people. Mm. So the generation above me, and who would have that? Would have baby boomers been the generation above me? Yeah, they complained about us, so they criticised us. And what's the one after me? Is it Gen, Gen Y? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't, yeah. Yeah. So I, I threw stones at them. Gen Y is millennials. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay, there we go. Yeah. All right, so I don't even know my generations. All right, so... <laughs> I, you know, I don't subscribe to the categories, but if, we, if we're talking yep. about it, then yeah. So I think, you know, the, an older generation always thinks the generation below them soft, isn't it? Isn't you know, and they, they find it easy to throw stones at them. Uh, I, I think sometimes millennials don't necessarily make it easy on themselves. Um... I think people have been self-centered and, and self-motivated for years. They just didn't have the opportunity to tap into it. People didn't care. You, you, I always wanted everything I wanted. It's just I worked for a grumpy older generation that, that gave me a, a smack around the head and a clip around the ears and, and told me to, to suck it up and do as I was told. And you can get away with it back then. You can't get away with that now. So I think that's given millennials an opportunity to have more of a voice. So I don't think... Millennials are any more self-centered than anyone else. One one criticism I would have is there is an expectation that everyone has to do things for them. And I go back, and this is not, this doesn't just relate to millennials, but we'll pick on them because it's the last question on the list, is everybody has a responsibility to get off their backside and, and look after themselves and not expect everyone else to do it for them. You should not sit there and go, what is the company doing for me? Oh, the company's not the company's not investing in me, they're not training more. Well, get off your backside and train and invest in yourself. I don't use that as a as an excuse or justification for going and finding another job, because guess what? That company might not do it either. Um, so that that self-investment, self-development, I think is a responsibility that most millennials can take. Right or wrong, companies need to tap into that. Right or wrong, whether we like it or not, we must address the fact that millennials or whatever generation we're up to expect more of us. Now you can sit and say, "Well, that's that's ridiculous." You know, what a bunch of softies, and they should do this and they should do that. But the reality is, what are you going to do? You're going to sit there and go, "We're not going to do it." Well, no one's going to work for you. Mm. 
So, you know, we, we do have to do more for generations. There'll be a generation after millennials who'll have a completely different set of requirements. And if they're going to be the ones that work for you and if they're going to generate a result for your company, then to a certain extent it is it would be prudent and wise to go to get what I want from millennials or whoever comes next, what do I need to do for them? We might not like it. Might not even be right, but it's the commercial realities of dealing with different generations. Yeah. I think as well it's like maybe we can expect a lot of a um, company and a lot of our, out of ourselves at the same time. That so balance. Be expecting, yeah, be expecting more out of both parties. It's interesting. I had a um, conversation in the flat last night and we were kind of um, talking about how sometimes millennials get flack from two angles. They're either way too passive and don't turn up to work on time and things like that. That's kind of the stereotype. Or they're too activist and too pushy. And I feel like, that, yeah, it's like we get hit yeah. on both sides of the spectrum. And I guarantee that if you went back to my generation, we got accused of exactly the same thing yeah. by the grumpy old baby boomers who went through the war and they went through the depression and, and all the rest of it. And I guarantee the generation before them threw stones at the baby boomers for exactly the same things. Mm. So I think it's, uh, but you know what, the, dif- the difference is, is we've got social media now. And you've got ability to voice your opinions easier. Yeah. That may be, guys, that might be the only difference is there is more of a voice for people to express their opinions mm-hmm. and millennials are better at expressing their voice whether we like it or not than any other generations had the opportunity to do so. Yeah. Everyone just grizzled and sat around at the pub drinking <laughs> dirty great big bottles of lime red and, and moaned and complained about exactly the same things. Now it's it's over what what do you what do you Little monkeys drink vodka spritzes or KGBs, <laughs> but you do it over. You, 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 you smash back your long whites, you know, and your little cocktails, and you moan on social media. You you you, you voice your opinions on social media, on LinkedIn or Instagram or um, Facebook. Same amount of grizzling. The alcohol's changed. It's more fruity and got less punch in it, and and it's it goes out to a wider audience. But people still complained and whinged and moaned. There's no differences there. I think that or that uh, argument sort of um, falls flat of of that we we whinge and moan um, when you look at Facebook because Facebook now has been adopted by um, by the generation above us. Uh, our generation and generation below don't really use Facebook that much anymore. Why so, is that? Um, our attention's, I guess, turned. We everyone uses Snapchat, Instagram, um, maybe Twitter, mm. but Facebook's sort of fallen out of favour a little bit with with our generation. So now it's become sort of just like a place for for, for bored, grumpy old winges. housewives to complain. Oh, see, hey, I, I told him to have some courage. <laughs> well, I mean, All right, here's my challenge. Here's my challenge. I told you guys to go out on the limb, leave that in there. Do not edit that out. <laughs> All right, had to lose oh, half shit. your audience in one go. <laughs> Shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> is, is grumpy old housewives your audience? So are they going to be watching nah, us? Not. All right, so to we're to sweet. De- yeah, to defend, it's really I, I don't know. And dads as well. Grumpy, grumpy yeah, old dads. Grumpy old everybody. Oh, yeah. Someone's covering their backside. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Leave this. Six, do not edit this out. Right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, not to take too much back from like that and like yeah, like cover cover ass too much. But I think Facebook as a platform is really compulsive to people just being able to post things that they don't like. I think YouTube comments are even a bit example because they're anonymous. It's just like you build an environment in which people don't feel they have as much responsibility in the future for what they've said today, and then you get people um, making comments that 
um, can be necessarily yeah, constructive. Can be quite yeah. a cowardly forum. Sure. Because they, you know, what will they call it? Keyboard warriors, people mm. that have got the confidence to sit behind and, and slag people off and throw stones at people. They'd never front up and have that conversation to their face. Yeah. So, um, and that's just a forum, isn't it? So people still complained and grizzled and moaned at the pub or with their friends. It's just a different forum to do it. So, And you see it now. You, were, you couldn't be at every pub, but you can be on the Facebook group and randomly yeah. see what people are yeah. talking about. Yeah. So I still think, I still think millennials can, can uh, I, I like your point that you mentioned, yes, companies should deliver some of what they need. But you know what? They've got a responsibility to help themselves out too. And I think that's a good balance, isn't it? Yeah. You demand demand as much from yourself as you demand from others. Wouldn't that be an interesting T-shirt? You know, if you're going to demand a lot from others, cool, that's fine. As long as you're demanding enough, exactly the same from yourself. You're not expecting someone else to front up to what you're not prepared to do. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense, but you know what I mean? Yeah. No, we'll do that. We'll start that T-shirt. T-shirt. <laughs> all right, mate. All right. So, so, so if it takes off, all of a sudden there's a there's a bomb in my car, right? Like, I don't remember him saying that. <laughs> a few royalty checks coming yeah, yeah. anyway. I guess that's probably a good place to end it. Um, thank you so much for being on, on the show. Um, appreciate you having, having you. Got your room. Good to meet you, mate. Uh, yeah, yep. absolutely. Some great, great advice. Chat. Great advice to everyone. And, and yeah, awesome chat. So thank you. Thanks, good on you guys. Well done. Thanks. Wrap it.